I would just love for us to show appreciation for the band and the people who do the AV booth. Yeah, we're grateful for them. It's a lot of hard work to lead worship in, in any space. In this space, it can be uh, a little intense as well. So uh, I'm grateful that we get to be together in God's Word to get today. If you're with us for the first time or for the first time in a long time, we are in the book of Lamentations. Our church growth strategy was to go through the book of Lamentations <laughs> leading into Easter. Why not? Let's just weep for months. Uh, we are not only looking at Lamentations, we're seeing glimpses of Jesus in other passages of uh, the Scriptures, but for us today, we're in Lamentations chapter 3. And in chapter 3, there, if, you've, if you're familiar with Lamentations at all, there's a possibility that the reason for that is you know verse 24. Now, you may not know that it's in Lamentations. You do know that it exists, though. And it may have even been on something you've seen, maybe a, a coffee mug or a, a painting. It says, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will put my hope in him. We did a series here at Grace 2018, uh, and the title of the series was Straight Out of Context. We actually used the word outa, out of context. And we looked at various verses in the Bible that we hear and that we use to champion certain things, whether it's our, our weightlifting approach or, or whatever, that aren't really being used by us for in light of where you find them in the text. And Lamentation 3.24 is a verse that's sort of like that. It can be used in that way. Because if all that you know about this verse is, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will put my hope in him, that is beautiful and it's powerful but it doesn't quite convey the whole idea there is more to that verse than that and that's what we're going to do today is seek to look and define that in Lamentations chapter 3 we're going to read through the text hear me I have debated for a week as to whether or not I was going to read the entirety of Lamentations chapter 3 I'm going to it's 66 verses with intent. They are shorter than the ones from chapter 1 and chapter 2. So if you do not like to be read to, I apologize. Feel free to put your fingers in your ear and follow along on the screen. But Lamentation chapter 3, I'm going to read through it. And I want you to know this is the central idea that we're pursuing today. There is always hope. Because God is always consistent, faithful, and loving. If you are unfamiliar with the book of Lamentations, up to this point, we've been looking at the siege of the people of Jerusalem and how the city has been overwhelmed and bombarded by Babylonian captors. They have come in, they have ransacked the temple. They have overwhelmed Jeremiah the prophet. He sits in a cave and looks out and is miserable considering what is happening to God's people. And it meets any of us, really, in a space like this today. Considering what sin is and how it works. Sin for us is this invasive idea. It's very present. It's an ever-present reality for us that we deal with each and every day. Sin is present in the world. Sin is something that we cannot avoid. 
And then when we see it trickle down the hill, it's even more problematic when we notice that sin sometimes is not simply something that we don't avoid. It's something that we actively choose. And Jeremiah is noticing that in the lives of the people. Yes, sin has been present forever. The darkness is there. It's a reality. But they have chosen to forsake the Lord. And the saddest part of their forsaking of Yahweh is this. They more than likely did not even realize it. That's how deadly and dangerous sin is for any of us. Believing people can miss it. We can miss it because we're not conscious of what's taking place in our lives. And we don't even know when to begin to turn back to him. So we hear this truth that the glory, that the glory of God's faithfulness is that, or rather that there's always hope because God is always consistent, faithful, and loving. So Lamentation chapter 3, let's look at it together. I'm the man who has seen affliction under the wrath under the rod of God's wrath. He has driven me away and forced me to walk in darkness instead of light. Yes, he re repeatedly turns his hand against me all day long. He has worn away my flesh and skin. He has broken my bones. He has laid siege against me, encircling me with bitterness and hardship. He's made me dwell in the darkness like those who have been dead for ages. He has walled me in so I cannot get out. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I cry out and plead for help, he blocks out my prayer. He has walled my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear waiting in ambush, a lion in hiding. He has forced me off my way. He has tore me to pieces. He left me desolate. He strung his bow, he set me as the target for his arrow. He pierced my kidneys with shafts from his quiver. I'm a laughingstock to all of my people, mocked by their songs all day long. He filled me with bitterness, satiated me with wormwood. He ground my teeth with gravel and he made me cower in the dust. I've been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. Then I thought my future is lost as well as my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my homelessness. The wormwood and the poison, I continually remember them and have become depressed. Yet I call to him. I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I see. I say the Lord is my portion. Therefore I will put my hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the, to the person who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. It is good for man to bear the yoke while he is still young. Let him sit alone and be silent for God has disciplined him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. Perhaps there's still hope. Let him offer his cheek to the one who would strike him. Let him be filled with disgrace for the Lord will not reject us forever. Even if he causes suffering... He will show compassion according to the abundance of his faithful love. For he does not enjoy bringing affliction or suffering on mankind, crushing all the prisoners of the land beneath one's feet, denying justice to a man in the presence of the Most High, or subverting a person in his lawsuit. The Lord does not approve of these things. 
Who is there who speaks and it happens unless the Lord has ordained it? Do not both. Adversity and good come from the mouth of the Most High. Why should any living person complain, any man, because of the punishments for his sins? Let's examine and probe our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let's lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. We have sinned and we have rebelled and you have not, you have not forgiven you have covered yourself in anger and, pers- and pursued us. You have killed without compassion. You have covered yourself with clouds so that no prayer can get through. You have made us disgusting filth among the peoples. All our enemies open their mouth against us. We have experienced panic and pitfall, devastation and destruction. My eyes flow with streams of tears because of the, destru- of the destruction of my dear people. My eyes overflow unceasingly without end until the Lord looks down from the heaven and sees. My eyes bring me grief because of the fate of all the, of the women in my city. For no reason, my enemies hunted me like a bird. They smothered my life in a pit. They threw stones at me. Water flooded over my head and I thought, I'm going to die called on your name, Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not, do not ignore my cry for relief. You came near whenever I called you. You said, do not be afraid. You championed my cause, Lord. You redeemed my life. Lord, you saw the wrong done to me. Judge my case. You saw all of their vengefulness, all of their plots against me. Lord, you heard their insults. You heard all their plots against me. The slander and the murmuring of my opponent attacked me all day long. When they sit and when they rise, look, I am mocked by their songs. You will pay them back what they deserve, Lord, according to the work of of their hands. You will, give the, you will give them a heart filled with anguish. May your curse be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them under your heavens. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you today and we do thank you that your word is good and that it's true, even the hard parts. And there's something for this people who happen to be here today at Grace Bible from these very difficult parts of your word. God, I would pray that today you'll help us to see and know and trust you more because of the way that you are at work in us. And God, for those who are here that are grieving, because we live in a fallen world, with no doubt, I know that there are people who are grieving, and it is based on no conscious sin, no active sin of their own volition, God. And we pray that you will meet and comfort where they need to be met and comforted. And Father, for, for the believer in the room who is choosing sin, who is saturating their life in sin, God, I pray that you will convict him or her of that and that they will turn from sin to you for the sake of your better hope and future. 
God, more than anything, would you meet us in our grief today? As we meet with you in your word, would you show us what it means to meet you, to trust you, to believe that you're faithful when everything around us says that you're not? We ask all this in Jesus' name and all the people said. As I said earlier, there is always hope because God is always consistent, faithful, and and loving. Charles Spurgeon has said, The glory of God's faithfulness is that no sin of ours has ever made him unfaithful. There is something weighty to that. Our badness does not cancel out God's goodness. God overrides. Who God is is more powerful, more present, and more gracious than we even know. But when you read through the text, you begin to see some things that are at work here. In verses 1 through 24, you'll notice there were things for us to be hearing and recognizing in the text. In 1 through 39, you see this personal prayer of Jeremiah... And as you go through that text, you see suffering, you see despair, you see hope. Just a glimpse of it. And the helpful thing about what Scripture is teaching us here is that there is hope on the other side of suffering and despair. We may not want to hear that. We may not feel that. We may feel like the writer of the book of Lamentations does in this moment where he looks at his own device and sees the city of Jerusalem in ruins and and as he evaluates the city, he notices it's as if God is against him. As if God is not for him. In 25 through 39, when he gets to the place where he notices that hope is present reality for him. That he can see hope even in this dark, dim, depraved situation. We notice that he grasps how to grieve and and how to deal with tragedy. Because it's on on that side of hope that we can begin to do that. So let's just look at the personal of that. And we'll maybe look at the corporate in a few moments. He says in verse 1, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. So if you're unfamiliar with the story, the nation of Israel is being actively decimated by Babylon. Jerusalem in particular is being destroyed and wiped out. Jeremiah is a prophet who's been telling them for years, the destruction is coming, the destruction is coming, the destruction is coming, the destruction is coming. No one wanted to hear him because everyone was fat and happy. Life was good. Things seemed as if they were going their way. They were not conscious to all that was really taking place as they embraced foreign gods and made deals with devils for the sake of having a deal with the devil. And here in this passage, you see this God who we see in Scripture consistently is faithful and patient with us, swiftly acts in a moment, and he uses the nation of Babylon to deal with Israel. It says, under the rod of God's wrath. Now, It's the same word that's used in Psalm 23, 4 about a rod and a staff comforting us. 
In that scenario, we are the sheep. The people of God are the sheep that he guides and gently prods and sometimes extra, maybe not so gently prods, moving in a direction. But the same rod that is used to, to direct sheep is used to hammer wolves if they're close enough. And here in the text, you see that God is using the rod of Babylon to treat Israel as if they have opposed and offended him because they have. He has driven me away and he's forced me to walk in darkness instead of light. The people of Israel, Jeremiah here, in a very personal way, feels as if he's being sent to a bad place. Again, shepherding language. It's the same language used in Exodus chapter 3 where you've got Moses leading sheep and he runs into a bush that's on fire. The same language is used here about being guided, but God is not guiding them to darkness. He's using, or he's, God is not guiding them to light. God is using Babylon to guide them to darkness. And in verse 3, the writer of the book says, God, are we not on the same side? Did I miss something? Now, our first week together in Lamentations, we pointed out all of the Hebrew alphabet that you see in, in Lamentation 1 through 4. It's not in chapter 5. And the reason for that is it's as if the author is attempting to give order to chaos. Because that's how life feels when it's not going your way. That's how it feels when we lose jobs. That's how it feels when multiple children are sick. That's how it feels when you don't get enough sleep. That's how it feels when you get terrible news from doctors. Life is not going my way, so I begin to try to order my affairs. That's how that feels. God, are you not on my side? Are you against me? Are you opposed to me? The language that he uses that I read a few moments ago, he's worn away the, my flesh and my skin. He's broken my bones. Encircling me with bitterness and hardship. There is nowhere that I look that I don't see despair. That it doesn't seem as if my lungs are being filled with fluid. I'm drowning in this. This is horrific. Why would you do this to me, God? All the while, this is Jeremiah. The, probably the best example of faithfulness in the whole community. We then see in 10 and 11 where the author uses language to describe God that we don't see used anywhere else. He's a bear about to ambush you. He's a lion hiding and waiting. It goes even further. He, he's an archer and he has set me as his target. He's not just any archer. He's a really good archer. I don't know who your favorite archer is. Legolas, Hawkeye, Katniss Everdeen. 
He pierces my kidneys with the shafts from his quiver. The writer, Jeremiah, feels as if he is being mocked by the people because they've ignored him for so long and now they mock him for hiding in a cave. Verse 15, he fills me with bitterness. He satiates me with wormwood. Bitter, bitter. Wormwood is this brew of bitter herbs. This seems to be a hopeless situation. Sin, active sin for Jerusalem and many of the people there has brought about what seems to be a hopeless situation. On the grander scale at 50,000 feet, sin in general has brought about on our world what seems to be an absolutely hopeless situation. Wars. And rumors of wars. Calling wicked men our champions. Elevating those who are altogether evil. Sixteen. He ground my teeth with gravel. The gravel of, of Baal worship. Jeremiah is saying that when he looks at the people of Israel, they, they have their face mashed into the altars of this foreign, wicked God. 18, then I thought, my future is lost, as well as my hope from the Lord. And if you read 1 through 18, or, or maybe you just look at your own life, th there have been moments where you've come to... Places of weeping and sorrow. And you could say about the people of Jerusalem and Jeremiah in particular, as you see yourself in light of Jeremiah, or you just look at all that you've been through in the last two to three, four, five years, and you've said, this just can't be it. This can't be all there is. This is awful. It gets even worse. 19, remember my affliction and my homelessness. He doesn't have a house. The wormwood and the poison back to the bitter herbs. And it's not just bitter herbs. Now it's poison. This is killing me from the inside. I continually remember them and I have become depressed. The writer here has in essence said, I'm done. I'm done. And there's a possibility for all, any of us in this space who've been through the difficulty of a three to five year span, maybe even more than that, where we're looking for God, searching for God, seeking after God, and we just get to this bottom level where we say, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm walking away from this. I won't, have any, I won't pay any attention to this. I'm out on Yahweh. I'm out on God. I'm out on Him being good. This makes no sense for God to be good and my life to be this bad. The future is lost. My hope in the Lord is lost. 
But when you hit the bottom, there's nowhere really to go but up. Remember my affliction and my homelessness. Remember the wormwood. Remember the poison. I remember them. I bet you do. And I'm depressed. Yet I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope. The prophet, when he sits for a moment in the idea that God may be filled with hope, symbolically washes his face. There's something on the other side. He does something that we struggle to do. His heart has told him that everything is hopeless. Just so that I'm not alone, if you've ever had a moment like that, where your heart has told you your situation, your circumstance, your surrounding, I'm alliterating more than I usually do, that those things are hopeless. If you have ever looked at your life and felt that it was hopeless and your heart was telling you that, just raise your hand. This is awful. I don't get it. Why is it so bad? The entire world would tell you that you should follow your heart. I mean, that's what we hear all the time. Pursue your dreams. Fly, birdie, fly. The issue is that your heart's really wicked. It's more wicked than we want to acknowledge. When your heart tells you that the world is hopeless, you don't agree with it. Argue with your heart. Argue with your heart from something that's true. That's what Jeremiah seems to do here. He almost repeats himself back to back to get to a place where he can say, no, there, there has to be something more. There has to be something better. 22. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for His mercies never end. There are two synonyms that are used in verse 22. One is in the first phrase, the, other's, the latter is in the second. It literally reads, We do not come to an end because He is unending. Hope does not have expiration because the God of hope is eternal. He's a forever God. Our mercies, these mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness in the midst of this despair, in the midst of this sorrow, in the midst of what seems to be an unthinkable, worthless, completely a situation that needs to be completely voided. He says, great is thy faithfulness. This hymn writer took that phrase and he ran with it. Because he is unending, our God is unending. His steadfast love and mercy, those are unending. The words have said, it runs through much of the Old Testament. It's God's steadfast ever-present loving kindness. We don't really have a word for it. So we can just say, has said, and if you roll the H, it's kind of fun. 
Feel free to do that in your free time. But the God that we meet in Scripture has an unstoppable loving kindness. I say, the Lord is my portion, therefore I'll put my hope in Him. Portion is war language and it's appropriate here. It's really appropriate. Because after all, it seems as if the people are, they're not just at war, they're losing one. If you were in a war and you won the war, you would receive the spoils of war or what some would call your portion. You get somebody's goats. You get somebody's sheep. You get, if they have chickens, and I'm not sure, you get their chickens. Or you get their land. But if you lose, there's nothing there for you. You just kind of waller in it. Jeremiah has been brought to the place where he is acknowledging that God is faithful and that even in what seems to be the loss of Jerusalem, there is a victory for him, not because he will receive goats or sheep or chickens or land. He gets God. He gets God. And the beauty of this for us as a believing people, and there are some of you in this room who aren't believers. That's just the way that rooms like this work. But if you are a believer, whatever sorrow you are walking through today, whatever sadness you are walking through today, whatever the ultimate expression of your sad depression is, it doesn't get to say the final word. It just doesn't. Because the final word comes from an unending, eternal God who is for you even when everything else says that it's not, that he's not. You get God. He says, therefore, I will put my hope in him. <laughs> Look at this. I lost all of my stuff. Jeremiah is in a cave. He lost his scrolls. He's lost his his city, he's lost his people, he's lost people to listen to him. But God, in all of this, I get you. I get you. The Lord's good to those who wait for him. He's good. So you, you see in verse 25 through 27, there is a bit of a build. The first thing you see, he's good. That's just a, an absolute fact. God is good. Building off of that, not only is he good, he is good to those who wait for him. He is good to those who wait quietly for Him. He is good to those of us who are trusting in Him. You go to 28 and you see that there's an, another build. Let Him sit alone and be silent. Silence is a weird thing. We don't usually choose it. I, I like podcasts and I listen to quite a few. I listen to less now than I did because I used to wear these over-the-ear um, aeroshocks things and they were bone conduction headphones. I, I decided to get a different style of headphone that goes in my ear and it, I don't like that. I don't like something being in my ear, so don't put anything in there. 
But I found I would turn those off and just take them out. And that built to me, sometimes just driving down the road and listening to nothing. Just sitting in silence. It's good for us to be quiet. It's good for us to consider that sin's awful. It's, it's really good for us to not let sin overshadow us. The, the thing that we've done with sin that is so sad, and honestly, it, it's so different really, is we either disregard it or we diminish it. And you all, we all know people who just disregard. Sin's not a real thing. Sin's not a real thing until you do something that hurts them and then sin's a really real thing. The other is to diminish sin. What does it mean for me or for you to diminish sin? It's when we look at it and say, well, that's just what sinners do. With no grief, taking for granted the fact that it exists. We've all, we, you're all going to sit around holiday tables at Easter, which is coming up, and you'll have conversation with family members that you have to make up words with. Well, so-and-so is just a sinner. We make light of it. God doesn't make light of sin. He never does. He goes on to say in verse 30, let him, rather, verse 20, 37, who is there who... Go with the 28. Let him stand, sit alone and be silent. The silence. Let him be, put his mouth in the dust. Perhaps there is still hope. The idea of putting your mouth in the dust, making sure you don't say something in anger. Let him offer his cheek to the one who would strike him. Let him be filled with disgrace. 31. For the Lord will not reject us forever. Even if he causes suffering. Now, God made everything. He made the world that we live in. And there's nothing that happens that shocks him. He will show compassion according to the abundance of his faithful love. And then you get to verse 33. And I do think that it really comes after the hearts of... It comes after the heart of much of the present theology in our world. popular theology even there's the idea that God is loving and we believe that God is love the scriptures say that and Jared and I were discussing it never says that God is wrath some of us have taken the fact that taken the fact that God expresses wrath towards sin and made it as if God is that the problem with that is the Bible. He does not enjoy bringing affliction or suffering on mankind. No matter where you land theologically, if somewhere in that you believe that God finds delight and joy in hurting and wounding, you're wrong. Well, that's just one verse. What Ezekiel says, 
back up from Zeke. I don't delight when the wicked perish. And if we are a people who are celebrating that God is wrathful, we may be missing the God of love and mercy that Scripture shows us. God shows wrath. He doesn't enjoy it. I love verse 33 because it's in the center of the chapter, which is in the center of the book. And as we look at this verse 33 that is in the center chapter, is the center chapter of the center of the book, it says this, that he does not enjoy bringing affliction. The word affliction, it means that God doesn't, Enjoy when things are lifeless, when the life is being squeezed out of something. He doesn't delight in that. I would pray that any of us who are in relationship with Jesus, who, who love Jesus and love the mercies of Jesus and talk about the mercies of Jesus and how good Jesus is, when we consider those who are far from the Lord, that our hearts would be weary and we would be leery to act as if God was sitting on the edge of his seat ready to punish. Because he is patient and patient, and patient, and patient, and patient. And the reason that we can know that he, is, he will be patient with others for a season is because he has been patient with you. He's been patient with you. We look at this text and we see that that's who our God is. You, you do get the response of the people is, is both personal and corporate. You notice that as the chapter itself comes to a close in 40 through 66. There is the idea of these people responding to Yahweh and, and, and their hearts turning to him. Their hearts aligning with Jeremiah uses that. But I think the best thing for us this morning would just be to think through that the God that we love is a God who is loving and has affection and has patience. And that we should be grateful that he has shown that to us and that we should hope that he would show that to others. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? There's a, a glimpse of the story of, of Jesus who would drink of the most bitter cup for us in this passage when we discuss the wormwood that's here. That Jesus would take our sin upon himself, the sin that separated us, the sin that cause separation between us and Yahweh he would take that sin upon himself and he would take the wrath that we all deserve so that we may be right with God we celebrate that every week when we drink of the cup and we eat of the bread 
that his body was broken and that his blood was shed. It's not something we do just for the sake of having something to do in services. We, we, there's a lot we can do. We do this because we want it to be a consistent practice of our people. To value the broken body and shed blood of the Son of God. That you can't muster up enough hope in and of yourself. That only exists outside of you in Jesus. So Jared will guide us to that in a few moments. Now let me tell you who can and who should take communion and then who should not. If you are a follower of Jesus who is a member of Grace Bible, you are more than welcome to take communion. If you are a believer in Jesus, have a relationship with Christ, though you're just a guest here today, we invite you to take communion and to consider that the body of Christ was broken for you. The blood of Jesus was shed for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, please don't come to the table because it has no significance for you. But if somewhere in all of this, the Lord has stirred your heart and has shown you that His patience towards you is good and that His affection for you is there, rather than coming to the table, why don't we chat about what it means for you to place your hope in Jesus Christ? Because that's better than the wafer and the grape juice that we have. This is us remembering that together as a family. For believing people, you are welcome to come to the table. Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for the truth that we find in it. We ask all this in Jesus' name.